What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a deep dive Wednesday, and we're kind of diving into a waterless swimming pool but we're going to do it anyways. I'm going to explore some expectations versus actual results. We'll hear from the coordinators as they spoke to the media on Monday, and we'll play another soundbite from the postgame show from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. You guys ever mess with soup? You know, I, I never was a soup guy, and then I got to Miami, and the stuff here is fire, and it's it's interesting that you get to Miami, and all of a sudden you're interested in the hottest type of food that there is but I think it's partly because the offices here are pretty cold to kind of offset the heat outside but man I got into the different types of soup starting with a chicken dumpling soup and I'm like I'm 34 I think I turned 34 this month and I just discovered dumplings like dumplings are an elite food if you ask me and especially in these different turkey or chicken soups my goodness it me soup guy at this point but enough of that I had to mention that because that's what we had for lunch today, and it was very, very good, and I just cannot stop messing with all the soup around here. And this is typically our deep dive podcast, but we'll call it a shallow dive today and talk about things like soup. I became curious about the week-to-week league mentality and extrapolating that over year-to-year and even multiple-year-to-multiple-year. And I'm not sure if this was subconscious of me or just two things that found each other in my brain or whatever because with this job I'm basically always working because my brain's always thinking about different ideas or concepts or research ideas to explore on the podcast or on miamidolphins.com but there was a thread by Chris Coffin you guys know who he is on Twitter at CK Parrot does a bunch of great Dolphins content he had a great uh, thread on Twitter a couple weeks ago Actually, why don't we go ahead and pull it up here. I'm going to pull this thing up real quick, pause the podcast, and come right back. And no time went by there because it's a podcast. But I found the thread, and in this thread, he details the fluid nature of this sport and of this league. And I think it's more so the NFL than college, but for the sport in general, things can definitely change. Look at Ed Orgeron at LSU. And that's about where the deep dive today starts. And you've heard me complain about this a lot, right? And I think complain is the right word because even I'm sick of it at this point. But the point does remain that we tend to come to these grand conclusions based on one or two events. It can be a play or a drive or a quarter, and usually it's a game, but sometimes it can be whittled down to those very small events. An example, I talked about this in draft season, how I really liked Waddle and Smith, way more than the rest of the receiver class, right? And then Jamar Chase has about as difficult of a camp and summer as one player can possibly endure, reports about him, talking about the difference between the stripes on the college ball versus the all-brown NFL ball, talking about him dropping multiple passes in practice, then walking to the other end of the field with his head in a towel. Like, it sounded dire before he even played his first game. Now we're five games in, and he has Randy Moss types of production in terms of first five games of his career. So the point is that things are fluid week to week most of the time, but way more so year to year. So to CK's thread here, and this is back on September 29th, so it's a couple weeks old. I want to start Dolphins-related first and not about the quarterback because he does go to a defensive end. 
And he says, remember when Jason Taylor was a hot young pass rusher who had been exposed, the book had been written on him, Chris writes, that the way to negate JT's skill or production was to be physical and body him. Then, second year, he's a nine-sack player. Year number four, he's an all-pro. By year 10, he's the defensive player of the Lear in the NFL. And I won't go through this whole thing, but that's the gist of it. And just for, you know, posterity, Drew Brees early on, well, they drafted Phillip Rivers. After his first three years there, he goes to New Orleans and basically rewrites the history of the Saints franchise. CK mentions Josh Freeman's 2010 rookie season compared to fellow classmate and banged-up rookie Matthew Stafford. What happened to Josh Freeman after that? And Matt Stafford now. He mentions RG3's 2012 rookie season compared to Andrew Luck or even Russell Wilson and Ryan Tannehill to that degree. He mentions Baker and Dak and the ups and downs they've had. Blake Bortles in the 2015 season with 4,700 passing yards, or total yards rather, and 37 touchdowns. Talks about Cam Newton going from being a player who was lighting college football up, but you cannot draft that guy in the first round. Then he winds up being the first pick of the draft to number to league MVP after being the number one overall pick. Very few things in this league are linear. I mean, shoot, remember when people were writing off Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago, even week one this season? Remember how Tom Brady was, and I really want to emphasize the air quotes, done after 2019? <laughs> yeah. And look, if this sounds like some plea to tell you to be patient or to be okay with losing now because it might change next week, that's not my intent here. I promise I don't want to blow that smoke in your guys' direction. I- I'm just <laughs> tired of trying to do that. And my intent here is to show you that the evidence you have now can be instructive, but it's hardly a definitive predictor of future success and future results. And that's just with regards to the quarterback position and the expansion into the other thoughts or ideals. I wanted to look at teams in this way, entire operations. And this is entirely opinion-based. How can it not be? Because we don't have defined media darlings each season but a consensus grows and that's how expectations begin to develop a team you talk about through the course of spring after a good draft and into summer and OTAs then they put it on the training camp practice field you get all the tweets and reports about that and expectations develop over the course of the offseason and I don't think the Dolphins were that specific team this year I think it was probably the Chargers maybe the 49ers maybe the Rams I'd throw the Patriots in there too as a team that everyone thought was going to make a huge jump, and they still might. I mean, that's not it's part of the argument. Two of those teams are off to a hot start. The other two, not so much. But the point here is something I, I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, that there was a budding consensus that this Dolphins team was on the rise and someone to be reckoned with, with great coaching, a great defense, and a quarterback who could ascend to that next level as long as he had the offensive line production protection around him because he now has all the weapons to work with. That was the idea, right? And so I wanted to go back and look at some of the previous teams that were kind of defined that way by local and social media and especially the fan base. I think, you know, just being on Dolphins Twitter all the time, I think there was a lot of excitement going into this year about this Dolphins team. But what about 2020? The Cardinals, I think, were that team. And they started off hot. They were, I think, a, was it a 5-2 and football team before the Dolphins beat them in like week eight last year? And people bought all the way in on that Cardinals team. And that includes me because I'm such a big Kyler Murray fan. Then they stumbled down the stretch and finished the season 8-8. Eight and eight. And all you hear all offseason is Cliff Kingsbury's Texas Tech record. He had Patrick Mahomes, and he still couldn't have a 500 record there at Texas Tech. It's all you saw on Cardinals Twitter all summer long. Now they're 5-0, and oh, the only unbeaten team in the National Football League. And that might change, but right now it's what they are. What about a team that found its footing in 2020 last year? It was a Cleveland Browns team 
one year after they had big expectations in 2019 because they acquire Odell Beckham Jr., Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon, Kareem Hunt. I think there was another big one in there too, but I forget. They go 6-10 and 10 after a 2-6 and six start, no less. Then they go 11-5 and five in year number two after expectations, and now they're 3-2, and two, but that's with a, a tough loss in an incredible game against the Chargers and an even tougher loss against the you know, reigning AFC champions twice over, three times over, in the Kansas City Chiefs. Two times? Yeah, last two times. Every year you go back, there are examples of this. Factor in losing your quarterback, was it 64 minutes into the season this year? I'm just going to need some more games, some bigger sample size before I open up the evaluation mode and start playing around with the mock draft simulators. Like it's October, man. I can't, (laughs) we just did all that. I can't get back into that. I want to see more evidence and not put work into something that will certainly change over the next 12 weeks. So again, just to really drive this point home, this does not mean it'll automatically turn around for Miami. But the point is that hope is not all lost. It never is in this game because you're only as good as the day of work you've just put in. So let's get back to work, shall we? And speaking of getting back to work, we had coordinator media on Monday, and I want to cover that here briefly. Then we'll play a post-game show segment and get out of here for a short Wednesday podcast. Tomorrow we have the preview podcast coming up, the in-depth deep dive, a look at the Jacksonville Jaguars in a game that hopefully Miami can get back into the winner's circle in. And I want to play the sound bites for the comments I found most interesting at coordinator media on Monday. And let's start with George Godsey, co-OC, starting with him talking about pre-snap process. And if you recall the mailbag a couple weeks ago, I talked about all the things there are to check pre-snap as just an observer, someone trying to get good notes for a podcast. So I wanted to play this from coach Godsey, because for those guys, especially someone that watches the entire offense, not just a position coach, it's tenfold. Let's go ahead and go to George Godsey. Um, You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you know, I feel like I see before the before the snap. So as much as as you know, I can communicate to those guys. Um, you know, especially from upstairs, I think will help them. Um, whether it's just breaking the huddle, communication, offensively, defensively, whether we're aligned right. Um, so I think that that streamlined things a lot. Um, you know, and uh, I kind of leave it at that. Some pretty interesting comments there from Coach Godsey about being upstairs and being able to communicate that with his quarterback as well as streamlining the process there and leaving that at that. Another hot topic is the offensive line. Why don't we go ahead and hear from Coach Godsey on his evaluation of the Dolphins' offensive line, which, of course, we saw reshuffled offensive line for this Week 5 game in Tampa Bay. Coach Godsey was asked about how he feels Liam and Austin did in those positions and how the Dolphins feel about that offensive line going forward. Yeah, I think that, that there were some plays that, that uh, you know, were really impressive, honestly, and then some that we'd like to, you know, get corrected. Um, I think Austin's kind of working his way through some things. Uh, and for, you know, within a week, he, he made some, you know, pretty big steps there. Um, Liam is just going to continue to get better. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that group can maintain some consistency and some, um cohesiveness uh we've had whether it's that position that that group or the receiver group kind of been some you know plug and play with some different players and and the more cohesive and consistent we can be with the same people out there the better off we'll be and you hear coach talk there about continuity and hopefully that cohesion can be a thing they develop over the final 
what is it, 12, 13 weeks of this football season. We'll love to see the same offensive line combination play going forward. Hopefully they can get to a place where they feel comfortable about that. Hopefully we also get to a place where we feel comfortable about getting Tua Tungavailoa back under center on the field. Coach was asked about what Tua can build on from what he did before he was injured to go ahead and continue the success he saw in that first game through training camp through the summer. I want to play two sound bites here from Coach Godsey, one about that, but also one about what they have to see from Tua to feel comfortable to play him on Sunday in the game against Jacksonville. Let's play the first part here from Coach Godsey. Yeah, you know, it was it was basically, you know, we go and play the New England game and and we had some like I said a couple couple plays or a couple plays within the series that we'd like to have back, but overall, as far as leading the group, you know, it was, it was pretty consistently done. Um, and, you know, that was starting to build some relationships with, uh, you know, each position. And so, you know, whenever there's a, a lapse of time like that, it's kind of, I don't want to say restarting, but, you know, we're getting back on the field. Now there's a little bit of an injury deal. So um, it's getting back that confidence that really you develop all training camp. So, uh, for for Tua, it'll be getting back on out out there on the field, being decisive. Um, you know, getting back that silent alarm, and and really getting back to, you know, where he was he was building on from training camp. Um, you know, and 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 kind of taking it from there. Found that answer very interesting because we talked all summer long about how good of a camp Tua did have. And week one is so wonky and so awkward. And look at the Buffalo Bills listen to the Pittsburgh Steelers back in week one. You just there's not a lot that can be taken away long-term from week number one. And hopefully what you get back here as, as Tua comes back and gets cranking is he develops and builds upon that stuff we saw in the training camp portion of this, this season this year, this calendar year. And if he does that, well, then I feel pretty good about going forward into the season and beyond that. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Coach Godsey with what they have to see from Tua in order to feel comfortable playing him in a game on Sunday against Jacksonville. It's a unique week too, Omar, you know, with us traveling and, and, uh, and, and getting ready here for the, you know, the London, it's called itinerary. So, uh, but, you know, whenever there's an injury at any position, obviously you're looking to see, you know, what happens, you know, on a hit or, or you know, get get tackled, whether it's an, another position or not. So, you know, maybe we won't be able to find those things out, honestly, till, till game time. Uh, but as far as certain throws, making sure, you know, he's able to, to, rip a ball out to the sideline if he has to, you know, show some touch uh, over some linebackers, uh, avoid, you know, movements in the pocket. Those are obviously things that are going to happen throughout the game that you'd like to get a, a look at and practice. And hopefully they come up from a, um, you know, just a, a, whether it's the play that develops a defensive lineman that kind of gets an edge on an offensive lineman. You like to see those movements take place. It's a little bit different when there are no movements, which is kind of what's going on right now. Um, just to make sure that you actually have the functionality to, to execute that when that happens. So um, it, it's always a, a touchy thing with all injuries, but obviously when he has the ball in his hand, he'll be making those movements. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a day by day this week and see if we can kind of arrive at a, a place that we feel comfortable with before, before the game. 
And if you guys are following me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, I'll be out there getting you updates on practice on Wednesday, letting you know about the status of QB1 as well as what coach says on this press conference day that probably already happened or will be happening here soon, depending on when you hear the podcast. We'll have you updated on that on my timeline, on the podcast, and everywhere in between. We cover this team inside and out. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and move forward here to Josh Boyer, who discussed rub routes and man coverage and the difficulty of defending those types of looks with that type of look. thought it was a very intriguing insight offered here from Coach Boyer, and he was specifically asked about linebackers' roles in that man coverage and crossing routes, but he went further and, and talked more about it because there's more than just a couple players in the field that deal with that. So let's go to Coach Boyer on man coverage versus rub routes. Well, it depends. Like if you're Sometimes if you're in man coverage, like those guys could have particular coverage as well. Like we, we don't always have somebody free. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, they, they are free and, you know, they'll force one crosser, you know, to go in a different direction. But if you got multiple crossers, then obviously uh, you, you can't get all of them in that situation. And again, um, you know, th- there's, you know, different coverages, different things that you can do to those crossers and, you know, and there's different ways you can handle the man too. So there's a lot of variables that go into that. So, um, you know, again, obviously I've got to do a better job putting our players in position to defend those. So there's coach talking about those rub routes and man coverage. I want to finish up here with Boyer with his comment about you know, I talked to Rashad Butler and playing about playing on a team that started 9-1 and one and one that started 0-5, and, and he talked about how it's never as good or as bad as you might think it is. And the fan reaction after a bad performance is going to be, who do you have to replace? Like, who's the blame on that you can replace that guy with a free agent or a draft pick or a new hire, whatever the case may be? That's generally the thought that fans have, and I, I get it. It's therapeutic, and it helps you maybe cope with the difficulties of losing because in this game and as a sports fan, winning is so great because losing sucks so bad. And when you do lose, I get it. We all want solutions and resolution. We want it now. And we want to know it's going to be better next week and going forward. But the truth is the real growth and turnaround almost always occurs from within, which is why I want to play this soundbite here from Josh Boyer when he was asked about his earlier comment about maybe changing some things up. What does that mean? Let's listen in. Well, you know, I I think, again, all of our guys, you know, that you see out there on the field, we feel comfortable with. So I think, you know, it's it's a matter of, you know, finding fine tuning better, whether it's schemes or, you know, whatever it may be or different calls in different situations, you know, to uh, put the players in better position. Like ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. And I would just say for me that that that's where it starts. The term fine-tuning was the point of emphasis there. Got to fine-tune this thing because your results are not going to come from outside help. You have to get it fixed internally, and that's what the Dolphins have to – the challenge they're facing right now is to find ways to get this thing righted internally here with this Miami Dolphins team and coaching staff. And finally, we hear from Coach Crossman, who had a good Q&A about the direction of the kickoff part of the game and the direction it's trending, but he talked about how the numbers skew towards touchbacks this time of year – but as the year goes along, there typically will be more kickoffs that are in play. I thought that was very intriguing because he also talked about weather being a contributing factor to that point about more kickoffs, almost like home runs and baseball. There's your, your baseball reference there. Uh, one of my friends on Twitter mentioned that I, I talk a lot about baseball and he has no clue. But in the summer months in baseball, the ball flies further and home run numbers go up. Something similar to what Coach Crossman said here about kickoffs. Again, just interesting commentary and insight to me. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach on Jalen Waddle as a punt return 
returner and the limited opportunities he had on Sunday in that game. At uh, returner. Well, I, I think, you know, he is, you know, his history, uh, very, very gifted player, uh, history in the return game, both in punts and kickoffs uh, in college. Uh, maybe an opportunity to get him some more touches. Uh, we feel like we have several good players, and uh, obviously with, with Jalen being one of them and you know got him out on the field on Sunday, unfortunately didn't get many opportunities. So there you have Coach Crossman talking about Jalen Waddle's punt return prospects. That's it. All right, where are we at? Do we have time for a post-game segment? I believe we have plenty of time for that. Let's go ahead and get out of here, though, and stay tuned after the outro for the post-game segment with myself, OJ McDuffie, and Seth Levitt. I thought our show on Sunday was great, so I want to bring you guys some more content from that show. In the meantime, Caroline, Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating. Leave us the review if you wouldn't, if you haven't done so already. We'd really appreciate that. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Irving Fryer this week. Great job by Seth and OJ there. YouTube channel and MiamiDolphins.com for all your Dolphins content. Until next time, Vinza. sold out already haven't they yeah. oh, of course they, okay. they do such a good job over there of, of getting fans in the stands I, I, one of my favorite things is watching all the different team jerseys even though yeah. they're not playing the game and they're going crazy they're cheering for for different touchdowns and, and field goals and they love the, for field the love goals. of the game just love. like Jacoby <laughs> said yeah, yeah. How yeah. Can you not be it is a beautiful thing though over there in London man you know you go over there they almost make it like an NFL experience every week you know with all the different things that they actually do at a Super Bowl you know, they have that type of like, a, a, I think it's at Hyde Park is where we were last year when I, or last time I went there um, to, to, with the Dolphins. And it's, it's really cool for the fans. And they, they do love it, man. It's such a great atmosphere. It's loud. It's entertaining. You know, and hopefully the game is entertaining for, you know, for, those, for the fans. But look, let's just be real about this. A change of venue is nice, but we're playing against Jacksonville. So change of venue and Jacksonville, change of venue and Jacksonville, should be should equal it, dub for us. It 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 better it has Deuce, to. right? It better it, has it to. better equal dub for us. But like these players can't think that way, no. can they? Juice they need no. to prepare like they're playing against Tom Brady and the defending Super Bowl champions, don't they? Or you or you will get nicked. You will get beat if you if you're not ready for a team like Jacksonville. I mean, look at me. Jacksonville got beat today by Tennessee. They they ran for almost 200 yards today. You know, so we got to worry about that. And James Robinson, you know, Boys Trevor love. Lawrence is he's he's going to be the truth. Right. Don't let him start being the truth against us. You know, I mean, he exactly. had a heck of a day too, 273 yards passing. So it's not going to be a cakewalk. Obviously, Tennessee went with their you know their their Derrick Henry way of doing things and running <laughs> down their throats. You know, and that's 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 always been a you know way of succeeding. But at the same time, though, man, you can't sleep on anybody in this league, especially a team like I mean, he's, they're they're cornered. 0-5, like we're sitting 1-4, they're, they're a desperate team as well. And so they get you paid too, be, right? Yeah, damn right they do. They're damn right they get paid. And I actually want to go to you on this again, Juice, because I this brings up an interesting thought that I had. Uh, I mean, it just kind of came to me. But uh, the podcast last year on Drive Time, we had Kyle Van Noy on the podcast, and I talked to him about, I think they were coming off of a four- or five-game winning streak at some point, and he came on the podcast, and I asked him what was it that turned this this season around because you'll recall last year they were one and three and they wind up finishing the season nine and three and obviously get on the doorstep of the playoffs there and Kyle said that the trip to San Francisco where they had an extra day to kind of hang out together Mm -hmm. a long flight over there he said that really galvanized the team so maybe going to London can do the same thing have you ever had an experience like that in your playing time where a long trip kind of brought the team together 
Now, you know what? It's, it's really weird because we never, ever went out early. It seemed like there was maybe one time with Jimmy we might have gone out early, but for the most part, man, Shula, we, we never went. Even, even the West Coast trip, we still went on that Saturday. If It might be Saturday morning instead of Saturday afternoon. So you really got there, you ate, you walked through, you played, you got back on a plane. So you didn't really get a chance to, to do that. One of the times where you might have galvanized your team is when you're doing some of the, you know, during training camp, when you're working together with each other against other teams. Like we went out to San Diego, and I spent a lot more time with Danny than I ever did. You know, it was actually with, with Junior Seau, which was nice because he was the king out there. Is that when you and John Bach and Junior and Danny that's, went that, out? That's what he said. Yeah, he was he's, he's our plus one on that one. Yeah, but I don't I don't recall I don't recall sixty being there. But hey, if he was there, he was there. He said he was there. Yeah, if he was there, he was there. So I, I hope that this works in our favor. This trip works in our favor. Where they get out there a little bit early. I think the last time that we kind of went almost like it was just a regular road game. I don't think they were out there very long. Uh, I remember before teams used to be out there for like a Super Bowl week, but I think that this could be an opportunity for us to turn the page. With basically, that's to mean the first quarter season's over. It's time to move on, and uh, and I think London can be the the answer versus Jacksonville. But like we said, Travis, like you said, they get paid too, so be ready. Well, look at last year. We talked about prior to this game. Hey, this is the same place that we found ourselves last year. The team was one and three, and then they got hot and so on and so forth. Well, the reality is. At one and three, they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. So last year, they beat Jacksonville, and we saw Fitz come out with the shirt open and the hair and the whole thing. <laughs> times. And beating Jacksonville while they lost to Seattle next week in, in a close game, I think they won. Beating Jacksonville was the beginning of winning eight out of ten. So that, you know, London, whatever, I don't care, long trip, bonding. My hope is that this team can get a W and that it does propel them to getting on a streak where they start winning a significant amount of games because they need to. And here's the other thing I want to say about London. You talked about the podcast. I don't know about you, Travis, with Drive Time. When Juice and I go look at the metrics, outside of uh, this great listenership we have for the fish tank in the States, there's no country on this earth that listens to the fish tank more than London, other right, than the other United, United States. States yeah. How, how's your London listenership? Oh, the U.K. is a phenomenal football country. It's the best. I mean, they, they are, to, just to, to put it how they have to, to even be fans of the game, the Sunday night game starts at like two o'clock in the morning for them. So if you want to watch primetime football, you basically don't sleep. And it's basically Monday morning football, Tuesday morning football, and Friday morning football, not the typical Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday that we've become used to here in the United States. So those guys are diehard football fans over there, and it shows by the fact that they can sell out Jets and Falcons and, and for sure Dolphins and Jaguars next week. We're still on the kind of Jacksonville here, I think, right, Juice? I yep. mean, we're on the Jacksonville. One thing we talked about here a little uh-huh. bit was. Second hour, Big Seven, last yeah, part of second it took, hour. took a little bit of time, but here we are. <laughs> but one thing I guess we can discuss here before we get out of here, just a few minutes, Juice, is I'm just curious, for, for people out there that don't know, how difficult is it to play a football game when your body clock is still waking up at like 9.30 a.m.? Because next week Miami's going to play a game that starts at 9.30 Eastern time, and traveling on Thursday with the practice Friday, then an off day Saturday, I have to imagine they're going to stay on the same routine, same schedule. How tough is that? Yeah, it's going to be tough for them. You know, I've never obviously made that trip to play a game. Uh, I've just made that trip, you know, just to kick it on, on occasion. But, you know, <laughs> we've seen some of the, uh, you know, some of the West Coast teams have that same issue when they come over here and play at 1 o'clock game. You know, when their bodies are used to that being 10 a.m. Um, but you know what you think? Of, I was thinking about that, Travis, when we're talking about it. It's kind of like when training camp. You know, when training camp, you have those morning practices. It's hard to get fired up and get going for them. But Jacksonville's on the same clock we're on, body-wise, you know, body clock that we're on. I don't know when they're going over or whatever. So everybody's got to get up and take a couple hits to wake up maybe. But they'll be fine. 
They'll be fine, man, because it'll be what time of day is that over there? Five or so, five thirty. Five hours ahead, yeah. Five so hours ahead. So we're looking at two thirty three. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. They'll they'll be they'll adjust by then and they'll be ready to go. It wouldn't be a post game show without me bringing up some type of baseball from my past, and it reminds me of those traveling tournament <laughs> teams. Softball, or baseball? Up baseball. baseball. Softball, eight, baseball. Eight a.m. The dew is still on the grass, and you got to go face a kid that's throwing low nineties. That was always my least favorite thing to do. But uh, it, you know, football is a different story as well. And speaking of football, we have the Drive Time podcast coming up for you guys later on Sunday evening, as well as the rest of the week, five days a week. We have the show. The Tuesday show is the film review, my favorite one of the entire week, where I break down the All Twenty Two and tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly from the week that was of Miami. Dolphins football. 